Hi everyone, I'm Jessica. And I'm Maya. And this is the Designers Toolkit, a podcast for new designers. Thanks for joining us. Um, you can submit any questions that you have through our Instagram at the Designers Toolkit. And while you're at it, you can follow us for episodes, sneak peeks, extra content, and updates. And if you like this episode, you can feel free to subscribe to the podcast to listen to episodes as soon as we drop. So what are we going to be talking about today, Maya? Okay, so today we're going to talk about how to build your UX portfolio. And I'm very excited because this is a topic that I didn't get a lot of clarity on and kind of just had to figure out when I just started. And your first question as a newer UX designer may be, do I need a UX portfolio? And 1000% yes. And (laughs) your next question may be, why do I need one? And this is something that I asked myself when I first started applying for jobs because I felt like it was maybe way too extra or unnecessary to add a part of the portfolio to design interviews because I felt like I could speak to the work I'd done without some extensive portfolio, which felt like extra work on top of everything that I was doing in school. And I was just like, isn't my resume enough? (laughs) (laughs) And but now I'm on the other side and I've had the opportunity to actually sit in interviews. And I understand now why having a portfolio is so critical They are expected because it's really impossible, I would say, to gauge what someone knows and can do without one. And knowing what UX as a field is doesn't necessarily mean that you know how to put it into practice. And then there are so many factors that come into executing design well. And the portfolio tells the true story of the steps you took to actually improve the user experience. And I would say that the majority of jobs today will request a portfolio. And when you submit an application, they'll do some sort of portfolio review if you make it to an interview. Mm -hmm. And it's the most important part of your application. I would say it's even more important than the resume. So definitely put some time into your portfolio. And it's really an opportunity to show your employers the best version of yourself. The way I think about it is like your resume tells what you can do and your portfolio shows. And because design is like a visual practice, the showing part is essential. And so I totally agree. Like portfolio is more important um, as a design candidate um, when applying to jobs than something like a resume, which is just a, a sheet of paper that has words on it. And so I think it's important to kind of break down like how you even build a portfolio. This is something that again, Maya, you were saying like you, no one taught this to you. And like you had to figure out on your own, I feel the exact same way, especially when I was like, getting started with building a portfolio. Um, and so I heard like all different advice from like faculty at the university I went to from other designers of like recruiters will only have two minutes with your portfolio. So get to the point, like keep it punchy, keep it short and sweet. Um, And then I also heard though, like you need to show process. You need to show all the challenges you overcame, like tell the story of your work. And I was like, those two are totally opposite ideas of like, Mm -hmm. I have to keep it short and sweet (laughs) and simple, but also tell you everything that happened in this project and like how I'm such a great designer 
that owns this project. So I really struggled with like how to balance those two things. And one seemed like I could just show a bunch of pretty pictures and impress that way. And then the other one seemed to take a lot more planning and like, I have to actually break down the problem and show all of my design decisions. So today I think we're going to share like what we've learned through interviewing with all different stages of our portfolio. And, you know, it's still a learning process, but I feel like both of us were hired full-time at Microsoft and with like what we know now about our portfolios. And so we can share what we've learned along the way. Yeah, 100%. So what is the right way to put a portfolio together? Now, there definitely isn't a recipe that will give you the perfect portfolio. There's no one right way to do it, but you should definitely spend some time finding UX portfolios online and getting a sense for what sorts of contents uh, that are included in them. And I would like to stress that portfolios are not necessarily about the products that you've worked on or like what project uh, you're working on, but like showcasing the way you think. So it's like peeling open your brain and showcasing it to the hiring manager. And they really want to picture how you're going to fit on their team and how you solve real world problems. And this can include what you can do as a designer, but also how you participate on a team. Like, can you lead? Do you follow? Can you take constructive criticism? And do you see your ideas as like things that can't be changed? How do you handle disagreements? And then like when you are thrown curveballs or problems, like how do you handle those? So it's a bunch of different things and not just kind of just like Jessica said earlier, showing pretty pictures to impress them and wow them. It's a representation of you and your best self. And then when it comes to portfolios, you'll need two types of portfolios. And this is something that I didn't know until I maybe like got Girl, me neither. Oh <laughs> a few my God. Yeah. I, uh, you need a web portfolio and you need a presentation deck portfolio. And the use cases for both of those are very different. And Jessica mm-hmm. and I are going to break down some of the common elements of both. And Jessica will go over the web portfolio and then I'll talk about the deck portfolio. So why don't you yeah. get started with web portfolios, Jessica? Yeah. So God, I like when... I was starting out, like looking back now, I was using my web portfolio for everything, for the presentations, for interviews, and also as the first impression. But now like my perspective on it is the web portfolio is for first impressions. It's to get in through the door, like recruiters are only spending like five to 10 minutes on your website, make sure it's mobile friendly. um, Because a lot of time those recruiters are going through like hundreds of portfolios in a day or like on the go. So make sure they can view it on their phone. But yeah, like I said, like this is the place to kind of hit the checklist of you know what might be listed on the job description so um, I'll also talk about this a little more but like make sure you're hitting buzzwords but also not like stressing too much jargon Um, there's a balance there but um, what I've used previously or like seen used to Uh, build a web portfolio are like Squarespace, WordPress. Uh, I know Wix is like um, one of those templated website builders as well. So you can use really any of those or you can also kind of spice those 
templates up with HTML, CSS or build from scratch with HTML, CSS. But of course that requires like knowledge of coding. So it really depends on your skill set. Uh, I've also done previously like an exchange where I worked with a front end developer who's a friend. I designed their portfolio in exchange for them, like making my Squarespace customizations using C HTML, CSS, like really spiced it up for me, um, which I really appreciated. And then I've also tried for one round to work with a developer to build my portfolio from scratch. So I gave them wireframes, did the whole nine yards, and then they build it. Um, and then we went back and forth on fit and finish and all that stuff. I would not recommend this route unless you are really familiar with coding yourself, um, because you're, at least for me, I'm constantly making small tweaks to my portfolio, especially if I know I have an interview coming up, I'm going to like tailor my web portfolio a little bit, like add a couple words here and there that I've found in the job description that I know is going to be a keyword that they're looking for, or I'll be stressing like certain skills. So making those smaller changes can be pretty difficult to coordinate with another person to like code those changes for you. And so I would recommend like currently my portfolio is on Squarespace and I find that to be really helpful. I know enough like HTML, CSS to like make some of the customizations there that um, kind of make it seem not so much like a template. That's what I've used in the past to build a web portfolio. What about deck? How, what do you use to build a deck portfolio? Yeah. So with deck portfolios, typically they are used to show problem solving storytelling, ownership, and like your leadership skills, the processes you take, how you learn, and then how you can fit onto the team. And this is also what I use to present uh, during my FTE interview for Microsoft. And I've actually seen a couple of candidates use this to present. Um, more often, I'll see them use this versus the web portfolio, which is more often used for first impressions, like Jessica said. And to build it, uh, you can use Figma, Google Slides, PowerPoint, uh, also Keynote. I would definitely recommend those four because you can generate a link to the portfolio and easily share it with recruiters or hiring managers. Uh, but also if you don't have access to that, you can maybe like make a PDF version of it as a backup, uh, but definitely use a software that has a way to make the portfolio easily distributable because you don't want to send the portfolio off and then the recruiter has to like download it and then it takes up like 50% of their computer, like you want it to be an easy experience <laughs> for people to see yeah. your portfolio. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah, now that we've kind of gone over like how you put a portfolio together, we want to talk a little bit about what actually goes into the portfolio. And this is kind of where you may get some conflicting information. Like Jessica said, some people are like, oh, tell a story. And then some are like, oh, like process, 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 all of the details. <laughs> and then it gets really confusing. So hopefully we can kind of clear some of that up to you. Mm -hmm. The first section that we want to talk about is the about you section, and that's uh, in web and deck portfolios. And this really is your view of design and yourself as a designer and explaining like who you are. So how mm -hmm. exactly does that work in web, Jessica? Yeah, so on web, it's not just a first impressions portfolio of your work. It's also an impression of you um, mm -hmm. and how you might fit in culturally with the team, be able to contribute to the team culture. And so I 
generally see this in two formats on a web portfolio. One is like on the landing page. So right when someone opens your portfolio, a lot of people have like mission statements or like this hero statement. um, And they'll sometimes put it next to like a headshot that like includes information like their design principles, why they're interested in design. But usually that one is really short and sweet. And I would recommend keeping it um, pretty short because you don't want a recruiter to have to scroll a lot to start to get into your projects. Um, if you want to include like more information, I know a lot of portfolios have like about me pages where it's kind of dedicated to talking about like, again, your design principles, why you're interested in design, what kind of role you're currently in versus what you're looking for. Um, and then any hobbies or side projects you have, or also anything just relevant or fun that can speak to kind of your personality and your cultural fit on a team. It That really like helps recruiters to understand whether you would be a good fit for the long run yeah but yeah I know it can be a little different for deck yeah so for the deck uh it's actually pretty similar and I would say that it's important to keep this part of your deck short but mm-hmm. uh it's also good to add additional information about who you are as a person I like interests and hobbies as they relate to your profession so like if you're interested in photography and when you travel, uh, you take a lot of pictures and you like to put selfies on Facebook, but you also use photography as a method in your user research. That's a really great hobby to put in your portfolio deck because if I see that and I'm like, oh, this person's really cool. They take photography and they use that on the job. Like that's someone I want to work with and learn more about. Mm -hmm. And then another thing you can also add is a sense of trajectory or like a timeline. So like where you are now, where you're coming from, what was your background and like where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? And I often see this depicted as a timeline and I did that in my portfolio. So I would highly recommend that because that like shows you have like a growth mindset and or like future thinking, which is important uh, aspect of being a UX designer. That's a great idea. I've like never thought to, like I've definitely had timelines before on my portfolio, but it's more of like a, um, highlights reel of my resume but I've Mm -hmm. never thought to just like extend it five ten years and like show that I have a vision and like design strategy for my career oh that's so smart wow my yes fit and wisdom (laughs) yeah and just like a side note it's always good to think about that stuff as you grow in your career mm-hmm. because otherwise you're I was in a one-on-one with my manager and she was talking about that and I was just telling her about how I want to be more proactive and she's like yeah I need to do that and constantly think about what you want to do in the future because otherwise your career just happens to you instead of you taking ownership over your career mm-hmm. which is really yeah. insightful <laughs> and I expect no less <laughs> from her because she's really smart but yeah yeah um, truly <laughs> Kind of moving on to the next section, which is the project summary section. This is where you're going to list out like the team you worked on. So whether or not you worked with other designers, PMs, or other students, uh, your role on that team, your responsibilities, as well as the hard skills that you'll show in the case study or the duration of the project. So was it six months? Was it mm-hmm. like a two-week project? Uh, and that's really important because depending on 
these factors, like you're going to approach the problem that you're solving differently. So make sure you have that clear in your portfolios, both web and deck. Yeah, definitely. So with the project summary, usually like I see this at the top of case studies. And so other than your about me, the rest of your portfolio for the most part should be case studies. So to like kind of break down what goes into a case study, I usually start with like project summary at the top of a case, but you know, you can put it wherever you want it to go. Um, and he, with this, I think it's important to stick to bullet points or keep it really digestible because if people just get bogged down in just like the background information of your project, um, I think that can really dilute from the actual work that you have to show. And so um, the other thing here is to be really clear about like what your role was. I've seen people like write, you know, I did project management and design. And like, if you're applying to be a designer, um, it is important to show that you have like skills um, and you know how to like work with a project manager and you have skills that are similar to project management that help you become a stronger designer. Um, but at the same time, like don't muddy the message. You're selling yourself as a designer. And so you can speak to like project management skills that you brought to the project during the project um, description and like um, the process that you're showing. But um, just... I know a lot of people feel like listing all these different responsibilities can help them seem like a well-rounded designer, but I think it's important instead to just like nail, like anchor the, the presence that you want to show of what you bring to the table is like, I am a well-rounded designer, but I am a designer. So um, yeah. yeah, for web, I, I feel like that is really important to um, be clear about like what you bring to this project. Yeah, the project summary on a deck portfolio, like web, tends to come towards the beginning of each case study. Uh, I would definitely recommend putting it towards the beginning rather than the end. And then I've also seen where people do the beginning and then they, during certain parts of the case study, they'll remind people of the project summary or they'll be like, oh, because this was a team of five engineers, I had to do this just so that people don't forget because it, because it comes at the beginning sometimes, people get distracted. Mm -hmm. So it's good to remind them. I wouldn't say you need to have that yeah. at every checkpoint in the case study, but uh, that is something <laughs> to consider. Uh, I've also seen case study project summary information depicted on the same slide as the case study title. And as Jessica mentioned, this part of your portfolio really just accurately portrays your contributions to the project. And the hiring manager will be able to see through any BS <laughs> or embellishments <laughs> or like fancy things you try to add that aren't true. And I would say this is even more true for when you're presenting your portfolio deck because they can ask you questions on the spot. So the important thing is just to be honest. Like, like if you're a designer, yeah. you're a designer. <laughs> Don't say I'm a designer, <laughs> researcher, PM, like I'm all of these things. And like you actually didn't do all of those things. Mm -hmm. Like just be yeah truthful about what your contributions actually were because it's really difficult to do everything especially if you're just starting out in your career and yeah now moving on to the next section which is the problem statement and that's the problem you're solving or like the business problem that you want to solve this can be depicted in, in different ways uh, but why don't we start mm -hmm. with web to see how you can approach it there 
Yeah, definitely. With the problem statement, like the questions that you ask yourself when trying to write a problem statement for a project when it comes to like building your portfolio um, are probably pretty similar between web and deck, but you're trying to like answer these questions that your audience might have of like, why does this need design work? Why was this project started? Who are your stakeholders? Who are you working with? Um, what opportunity was here for UX to like drive impact in the business? So an example that comes to mind is like one of my case studies that I had before I had any like real work examples because I was fresh out of college was I wanted to show like a personal redesign I did as part of a job interview to design this app for delivery drivers to coordinate their schedules for the day. And so as part of my problem statement, I included a bunch of screenshots of like all caps Yelp reviews of people who were like really pissed with their delivery service providers. And uh, I added that section in to illustrate how there was significant opportunity to improve the experience. And then later on in the project, I like kind of tied back to this by showing testimonials from user testing that were glowing reviews in comparison to like the all caps yelly um, screenshots. So I think, you know, problem statement is really telling your audience like why do I care about what work I'm about to see from you yeah and I would say the problem statement operates uh, in a similar format to the way it does on the web so it'll probably look very similar but I have seen differences in the way it's worded so sometimes when you're using design thinking methods you'll say how might we solve this problem or when I when mm -hmm. I see like more business focused problem statements it's just very straightforward it's just like this is the problem <laughs> that we want to solve it's mm -hmm. like cut point uh, where some problem mm -hmm. statements are more abstract but just as long as you convey what the problem is it, whatever format you want to use works and you're just essentially letting the audience know how this will tie all of the other elements that follow mm -hmm. together yeah and now we're going to move on to the process ideation iteration phase. And during this section of your portfolio, you're going to describe your design process step by step. How do you ideate solutions to the problem and any iterations you may have to make beyond your initial solutions that you've created? And this really opens up to your audience uh, the way you think and how you can approach problems. And because everyone approaches problems differently, because problem solving can be really subjective and all of our brains work very mm -hmm. differently, this section <laughs> is really varied. Uh, there's a lot of variance uh, in what I've seen. Uh, and even Jessica and I have uh, different ways in how we approach this problem. Mm -hmm. uh, so definitely look for examples that resonate with you the most and the way that you think that you can convey strongest and try to align to those, uh, but don't feel like you have to find one uh, template for this section of your case study and follow it checkpoint by checkpoint, because this isn't a prescriptive format for your case study. Yeah, when Maya and I were like writing down things that we wanted to cover in this episode, I was like, okay, I mean, this is how you do process in a portfolio. This is where it goes. This is what goes in it. And Maya was like, oh, I actually do mine completely differently. And I think like 
for me, there are some universal principles that kind of guide how you can build a section, but it's really like up to your style of storytelling. So for example, like one principle for me would be like, please curate the section. Like I've seen so many portfolios where people like throw everything but the kitchen sink into the (laughs) section. Um, They like clutter it up with action shots of them at a whiteboard or like lo-fi paper wireframes, every single like little pencil sketch that they made, every journey map or sticky note that they ever wrote (laughs) for this project. And I think it's quantity over quality at that point. Like a recruiter is looking for, um, more purposeful inclusion of assets that you've created along the way. So everything that you choose to include should serve that story of like, I can bring something to the table beyond just following what I found on Google about what a UX designer does. Um, And so you might want to answer questions for your audience in the section of like, how did you adapt when things didn't go your way? Were there any like compelling problems that you solved or any surprises that changed kind of your initial treatment of the problem? And, you know, as you're thinking about those questions and how to answer them for your audience in your portfolio, if you're finding that your project doesn't have any kind of like meaty stories to tell, um, that might be kind of a good indication that you should put it lower in the ordering of your projects. So again, like especially in a web portfolio, recruiters aren't spending a ton of time with your portfolio. And so it really matters like what order you list your projects in. The first couple projects should really tell the story of like how you problem solve things like that. It shouldn't just be like reskins of some app you didn't like the branding for or anything like that. It should be like, here's a concrete problem. Here's how I pivoted throughout um, this project, things like that. So showing hard skills is really important for sure. Like if you are reskinning an app to like look prettier, like that is, you know, a lot of the times a fun thing to show in your portfolio, but maybe like a little lower down so that when they are interested, they can see that for you. And those hard skills will come in naturally when you are talking about those projects that have kind of like meatier stories to share. But yeah, I guess like the bottom line here is web and deck principles for showing process are really up to you. So just remember that web is kind of first impressions and the deck portfolio is for storytelling. Um, And that can kind of help you determine how detailed you want to get. Yeah, Maya, I mean, coming back to the fact that we have such different ways to share processes, like How do you do it personally in your portfolio? Yeah. So when I approach this part of my deck and web portfolio, I try to explain my process without going into too much detail because I don't feel like there's a need to explain every single technical detail because it can overwhelm the audience. And I'm speaking as someone who has been the audience and has been overwhelmed by the processes. Mm -hmm. And in the interviews I've sat sat in, uh, I've seen so many designers that show every single iteration that they did or every single research method that they did as opposed to why they did what they did. And I think it's important to focus on the whys to reveal your thought process and your reasons. And this tends to tell me a much more compelling story. Like I'm 
much interested in why you would do a card sort versus a usability study versus 20 different iterations of the same design you did piece by piece. Uh, because <laughs> I feel like yeah, it shows me that you know because of the things that are... Like the context. Yeah, the context of this scenario. That's why you decided mm-hmm. to go with this direction. And that's my personal yeah. approach to it. But I know that everyone has a different way. And uh, that's yeah. you know why this section is so open-ended because we all solve problems differently. So what For about sure. you, Jessica? I know that we kind of <laughs> approach it completely different. <laughs> hey, we both got hired in the end. So like, <laughs> it, it all works. I mean, I think that just goes to show like, you know, the way I do my portfolio is different, but it's still effective. And so like my deck portfolio, my web portfolio, I approach process totally differently. Um, Where in my web portfolio, I'm giving more of like a highlights reel. Um, So I'll include more pictures than text. Um, I'll just like do bulleted lists of methodology and maybe like one or two sentences explaining why I went with that methodology. I sometimes will talk about like research processes that I used in kind of overcoming bumps in the road. So if we got Got stuck at a certain point. Um, I think that lends to storytelling in the web portfolio without getting too into like the nitty gritty of everything. Um, but again, like the web portfolio, that process section is more of a highlights reel. Whereas, like in my um, deck portfolio, I'm really like diving in deep. I'm like sharing my methodology again. Like I'm curating the section so that it's telling the story of like, this is why I made this decision. Um, this is how it helped. And then I'm also showing like, this is how it lent to the final solution um, that we came up with. And so people can understand like how we started with the problem and like went through steps to get from point A to point B to the final solution. And so Yeah, I mean, I think that really sums up, like, we have totally different approaches, but at the end of the day, like, this section can be whatever works for you and what you feel like is an effective story to tell about your design work. Definitely. And even just beyond the examples that Jessica and I have given you, you'll see other approaches to how you can approach this section. Mm -hmm. So definitely find which one aligns best with how you solve problems. Yeah. So the next section, as Jessica kind of mentioned, which comes right after uh, this section is the final solution. And this is the time when you kind of hype up the audience with your high fidelity mocks (laughs) and get them excited about what you're going to show. And the way you show these can vary from web to deck, but uh, Mm -hmm. I tend to order them really similarly. But Jessica, Mm -hmm. why don't you take it away with web and talk a little bit about how how you see that fitting in? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's also important, like for me to recognize, like we're saying all these things are super open ended, and it's really like tailored to you. So I know that we're like presenting this, these sections of a case study, like one after the other. But in the case of like a final solution, a lot of the times I like to hype the audience up early. And so I'll like post like a snappy gif or gif, however you want to say it. Um, (laughs) Fight me in the comments. I will post something like snappy and fun at the beginning to get people excited about like all the process that I'm going to show of how we like I'll often do like project summary, um, problem statement, and then show like, here's what we ended up with. Look how great and snappy it is. 
And now I'm going to talk about how we got there. Yeah. So I know that some people also like to structure their case studies a lot more chronologically according to how the project ran in real life. Um, But I guess a rule of thumb for me to kind of like tie together all these different approaches is to showcase your work again, according to something that tells the story that is interesting to someone who's not an expert in your field or your product area. Um, And so I think you know, that principle also probably applies to deck portfolios as well. Um, but one thing to keep in mind is like, as you're actually working in projects or like looking for jobs, um, make sure that you are taking screenshots or logging customer feedback metrics, um, or just the experience you're working on at the beginning of the project so that you can um, kind of showcase that as part of your problem statement, your process, whatever. And then I mentioned like when you're looking for jobs as well, because um, you want to make sure that the job that you're joining, you can share that work in for to help build your portfolio in the future, like be future facing about um, what you're going to be showcasing. So so what about deck? Yeah, so in your deck, this is definitely your moment to shine. And You can prove your potential by explaining an impactful or unexpected design decision you took, and then you can underpin your decision with the user needs or pains that necessitated it. Uh, A lot of times I often like to show a before and after side by side, and you can see the drastic difference, and that really hypes people up Mm -hmm. because they're like, oh, that looks so much better. Because like just even like looking (laughs) at it, they're like, oh, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And then I'll get like a lot of reactions and likes, uh, so that's... Yeah. Why I really do like to uh, put it at the end, like a like a surprise. Um, but yeah, uh, you can also spoil the surprise too if you want to do it a little earlier. But uh, this is a really great part of the section uh, to get people engaged, and I would definitely mm-hmm. emphasize For sure. making sure that you put a lot of time and thought into this section. And then the last section is results and impact. And that's a section where you really just kind of brag about yourself and like show like what you can offer the team. Jessica, do you want to take <laughs> this section away? Yeah. So I'm so passionate about this section because I used to be so like, oh, it's so cringy to like talk about myself <laughs> and talk about like everything that I did. But now I've completely pivoted from that. Like, this is where you do like what I call just manifest employment, like shift your tone from, I can do this for you. I could do this for you. I will when I'm on your team to like, I did that, you know, like I'm that bitch. It's me, your new star designer. Like I'm the one everyone goes to for this subject matter. I am the expert in the subject matter. Um, You like, you can also say, you know, like I knew nothing about this space when I started, but as you can see through my process and through what I've shown you, I was able to effectively design a solution that shows, you know, this amount of improvement. And so I think the goal of this section, like you want to end on the note that makes it really easy for them to see you on their team, like tomorrow, instead of thinking like, okay, you know, they have potential, maybe if we call them back for the next round interview, like, you know, maybe it could happen, maybe that we could see it. 
you know, it's like, no, you like sell yourself as I'm already on this team ready to contribute ASAP. Yeah, you want to make it so that they don't want to lose you and they want to offer you the position like yes. yesterday. Oh, yes. That's such a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah I, I love that. I'm that bitch. You should hire me. <laughs> that's what this section is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> So those are kind of all of the sections that should go into a portfolio. So now we're going to move on Mm -hmm. to how can you set yourself apart from other candidates Mm -hmm. who are going to have similar portfolios. And the first part that I'm really, really passionate about, I feel like I could do like 20 more episodes about this (laughs) subject is (laughs) making sure that you have great storytelling that shows how you can fit Mm -hmm. in on the team. And that really just ties into what Jessica was just saying. And This is the area I try to focus on the most because storytelling can make or break your portfolio. I always start Mm -hmm. off with, like, here's the problem. And these are the steps I took to solve the problem to get to a solution. And I attended this really cool talk about storytelling the other day that was really compelling. And the speaker compared storytelling in design or just in general to a hero's journey. And using this framework, you as a UX designer, you're a hero. And it's up to you to save the day or solve the problems that exist in the user interface. And in a hero's journey, there are usually trials and paths that the hero has to take and save the day the way you tell your story and your UX portfolio works very similarly. And you have to explain mm-hmm. the problems that arrive and the avenues you take to resolve them and get to a final solution. And this framework is used in a lot of design. I know Pixar uses a really similar framework with all of their movies. There's always some mm-hmm. kind of protagonists uh, and an antagonist and there are trials and things like that. And you have to think about those things when you're telling a story too. Like you want them to root for you. You're the hero in this scenario. <laughs> I love that. Wow, I am Moana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. I love Moana. (laughs) I know. And she like literally goes through trials. Mm -hmm. Wow. Love it. Um, Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with this. I think like something that can, to me, really proved that storytelling is the key part of a portfolio is like when I was interviewing to convert to a full-time employee, I was previously a contractor with Microsoft. Um, I went through two interview loops, one in the fall and one recently this past spring that I, you know, eventually accepted an offer. Um, But in the fall, like in that first portfolio review, I was showing like pretty pictures, highlights, like things that I felt would wow the crowd. Um, But as like a result, I because I was focusing really on kind of like punchy visuals mm-hmm. instead of the storytelling. Um, I don't think my work landed with my audience. Like the feedback that I got from the recruiter after the fact was like, they're looking for complexity because I only showed um, things that, you know, went great with the redesign Um of all of my products. Whereas in that second portfolio review, I felt a lot more comfortable with telling the story and like admitting parts of a project where I was wrong or showcasing a difficult situation. Like when um, I had a really difficult PM that I was working with and there were all these different limitations that I had to work around like time constraints, um, technical constraints, all these things where when you show those things, like, Um, I think a specific example that really landed well with my audience was I showed an example where I was um, disagreeing with my PMs, like I had a hunch, they had a hunch, and then 
because we were disagreeing and didn't know how to move forward, I instead like pivoted our resources into user research and then realized during user research that my hunch was wrong. And so I was able to kind of adapt um, the designs and the solution that we came up with to showcase kind of what was best for the user, which um, combines like the PM's hunches with like kind of some of mine as well. And then I showed, you know, how that improved our metrics and as a result, how our users now feel about the experience uh, to show like the treatment was eventually successful. And like, I think out of that, I got such a strong positive reaction that I (laughs) heard crickets in that first portfolio review, but because I really upped the game in storytelling in that second portfolio review, I had like hiring managers who were on the call DM me like directly after my review and kind of like commend me on taking that risk of, you know, showing that you're okay admitting you're wrong and that you know how to take actionable steps afterwards. And I also had like senior and principal level designers kind of like heart react or applause react and like go off in the comments during my review when I was like sharing those examples. And then ultimately at the end of the day, I also got hired. And I think that is enough validation that like, between those two portfolio reviews, I was showing the exact same work. It's just I upped my storytelling. And I think like that shows how key to your portfolio that part of it is. Yes, yeah, storytelling, focus on it. Become a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to say. Yeah. And Jessica <laughs> <laughs> Say less. <laughs> say less. And Jessica just mentioned <laughs> success metrics and data. And that yeah. is another part of your portfolio or another thing to add that can really set you apart. And Mm -hmm. uh, I know that as a newer designer, it can be hard to get access to quantitative data, but definitely if you can, it's really good to have. And one of the first reasons is because it allows you to objectively assess the impact of your work. So the numbers are going to speak for themselves. Like they say, like the art speaks for Mm -hmm. itself. The numbers don't lie. (laughs) Numbers are telling you the truth. (laughs) And without them, like you've, done a lot of work without validation and now you're just kind of saying that your work performed well without something to back yourself up and if you don't have anything to back yourself up Mm -hmm. then it's not as valuable to the people you're presenting to and then another Mm -hmm. benefit is that it gives you a lot of information that's necessary to improve or make iterations so um, there's foundational Mm -hmm. research and uh, heuristic analysis, uh, which are more qualitative, but they can't really replace uh, the way people react to your design or engage with it or like how it fits within the context of their their lives. And that kind of quantitative data can tell you like how close or far you were from the right answer, what you should have done, and then where you can go next. And companies really want to use like know how you can use that to improve your skill set or like what you would have done um, in the past or done differently. And I know that Jessica, in your portfolio, when I was in your review, you had a lot of qualitative data and I really liked (laughs) that part of it uh, because it wasn't like something I considered adding to my portfolio, but definitely in the future, if I I do another review, I would consider taking the approach that you did. Yeah. I feel like with quantitative data, a lot of the times the people you're working with at like whatever job you're going to 
join as a designer, like business managers or um, program managers uh, or researchers, like they all respond to quantitative data. And so it's not just for your portfolio. It's also a tool that you will be using like day to day in your work, hopefully as a designer uh, professionally. And so I think it helps definitely just to be aware of what quantitative data you have available to you as a resource or what um, you can set up to track like those metrics. But again, like, especially when I was starting out in design, I did not have access to like quantitative tracking of kind of like design impact. And so something else that you know, I tried to do is include like any feedback I got from people I worked with, like PMs, researchers, other designers is really valuable too, or people um, from leadership. So like, I remember one time in an email thread, like one of my products that I designed went live and like a VP, like replied to the email with a one line and he wrote like, uh, cool, I like the look of the new experience. And my manager like screenshotted that shit and like (laughs) sent it to her boss and you know those things um that was a really good indicator to me that it's a compelling um I guess like testimonial to my work as a designer so I like to include those parts in my portfolio um another source can be like showing it uh to users or like proxies for users and by proxy I mean like people who can um, put themselves in the shoes of whoever your ideal user would be if you don't have access to real users um, and like get their feedback during testing and then I'll throw that in my slides or in my uh, web portfolio as well Um, but just anything that shows like Um, feedback on my work, on the impact that design in general had um, on the project, or just like my collaboration style, I like to include that in my portfolio. Um, Because it it's kind of like Yelp reviews, but for you (laughs) as a designer. So uh, if you can show positive reviews, you know, like, also don't be afraid to ask um, when you're like leaving a team or uh, when you're wrapping up a project. I've started this habit of like asking um, designers that I've worked with or PMs that I've worked with to just like email me feedback. And like, if it's positive, then that's great. I have more material to potentially include in future portfolios. Um, And if it's negative, then I know, you know, things to work on. Yeah. So it really only helps to like ask for feedback and then include that feedback in your portfolio when it helps. Yeah. I love that. I remember our manager or like our skip level manager, she was talking about how you should have an I am awesome folder. So if your name is Maya, like me, like your folder will (laughs) be called Maya is awesome. So like just to put all of your positive feedback in there. So it's just like (laughs) a repository of all of your Yelp reviews. (laughs) Just so that you know like how you contributed uh, to the success of the business over the past like six months versus 12 months and whatnot. And then you can speak to that Mm -hmm. in future interviews or like to your portfolio and whatnot. So that's really smart. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I definitely think – it's a good idea that you uh, consistently ask for feedback because that just shows that you have a growth mm-hmm. mindset, which is something we always talk about at Microsoft, which sounds mm-hmm. kind of vague, but I understand what it means not the longer I have been at the company. And yeah. yeah. 
And like with that folder, I, you know, when I was compiling all of these quotes for my portfolio, like building a portfolio is super vulnerable and stressful. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, a lot of the times like my imposter syndrome comes out to party when I'm (laughs) building a portfolio. And so it was really nice and validating for me to like read those quotes and be like, yeah, I am that bitch and like channel that energy into my portfolio. So it's good to like hype yourself up to have that folder just on a personal level, not just to help your portfolio. So get that um, (laughs) Jessica is awesome folder started. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then kind of one of the last areas that can help set you apart is showing initiative when you don't necessarily have real world examples to put in mm-hmm. your portfolio. And this is something that yeah. every new designer faces because you're in that situation where you need the job to get the experience, you need the experience to get the job. <laughs> and it's kind of yeah. like, <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do if I don't Yikes. have the experience? So one thing that I've uh, seen uh, is that sometimes they'll take a, a real world problem and solve it. And I know that you, Jessica, mm-hmm. uh, did that in your portfolio. And I think it really mm-hmm. t- like stands out when you take the initiative to add pieces to your portfolio uh, when you don't necessarily mm-hmm. have the real world experience, because that shows me that even though like you weren't able to get a job, you took the initiative to learn the craft of UX and that you are yeah. uh, learning it. And that speaks more to me than someone who like is just like, oh, well, I just don't have a job. So there's nothing in my portfolio, but hire me like, <laughs> that, like <laughs> you know, so like at least you're trying. That shows me that you're making an effort. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I would say like be again, like the principle of like curate what you show here. So if you don't have a lot of projects, that's okay. Like recruiters don't have time to go through all your projects anyway. Like if you have like eight or 10 projects, like chances are someone is not going to get down to that like eighth or 10th project, right? And so if you only have a few projects, that's totally okay. And of those few projects, you know, like find real world problems um, and do a case study around that. Like, don't just do a rescan of some application. Like, for example, if you don't like the way that Gmail looks and you just want to do a redesign of it, right? Like, that can be a cool project, but it doesn't, like, tell a really strong story about, like, you and your design decisions and, like, how you would pivot if there were any challenges that came up in the workplace for you as a designer. And so just like pick something that is actually a problem, not just because you personally don't like the way something looks. Um, Yeah, I guess that's my advice with choosing like case studies that aren't stemming from like a client coming to you Mm -hmm. with a problem or like you having a problem to solve at work, you know? Yeah, yeah. Another thing I've seen people do is the daily UX challenge where they'll do something UX every single day and that helps them build that Mm -hmm. UX muscle. So that's another thing to consider as well because like if you have a hundred things, I wouldn't say necessarily show put all of that in your portfolio, but if you can maybe like speak to the fact that you did a hundred days of UX, like that's like, oh, wow, like this person's like really dedicated. Uh, We should maybe give him a chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like pick your, yeah, pick your favorites. Yeah. Show like a 
a cool like highlight reel or like grid of your favorites and then maybe like a paragraph or two (laughs) about like um, what you learned, like why you started this uh, 100 days of UX or whatever. Definitely. I love that idea. I've never thought to do that. I'm loving all of this positivity about portfolios, but on the flip side, (laughs) there are times when portfolios can go (laughs) wrong. So we're going to go over some common pitfalls Mm -hmm. and how you can avoid them. Please do. Uh, but there yes. are they are very common amongst uh, newer designers. So one of the first things mm-hmm. that I see a lot of designers do is that they only focus on the visuals. And you're not like someone that's only focused on the visuals as a UX designer. Like you're focused on a lot of other things. And you need to make mm-hmm. sure that you have a case study format. Um, so like Jessica said, uh, she in her first portfolio presentation, she was just like focused on like wowing people with just like what things look like. But like you need to tell a story how like you approached different scenarios like research and data and some visual aspects, but not just the visuals uh, mm-hmm. because that doesn't tell me yeah. how how good of a UX designer you are. Yeah. Like honestly, when I'm having a hard time like working with PMs or like there are challenges that come up at work, I'm like thank you. I'm going to take receipts of everything. This is going in my portfolio. You know, like I used to just get frustrated and be like, oh, I wish like things were just easier. But now I'm like, okay, this is perfect. This is a good opportunity for me to like take note of what's going on. And that way I can put that into my portfolio. But then like back to that point of like, we're not just visual designers, like don't focus only on like those splashy visuals is don't go wild on animations. Like having a clear and crisp portfolio will take you so much farther in terms of showing that you're a designer capable of compelling work than like splashy effects will. I mean, if you have time to add like transitions or animations that will prove a point, absolutely go for it. But a lot of the times, like I've had to turn around portfolios in a a week and, um, Again, thinking back to my experience between like that first portfolio review with Microsoft with the second, that first one, I was so concerned with like visuals and all the different details of like what my presentation is actually going to look like and all those transitions that I got so distracted. And so I was showing the exact same work between portfolio one and portfolio two. But in that first one, I was using PowerPoint, which is not a software that I use as often. And then in that second portfolio review, I switched over to Figma. And Figma also has some like really cool, straightforward transitions as well. So I did use transitions, but because I was working with software that I use every single day as a designer. Wow, you can hear all about how much... Maya and I love Figma Figma in our episode. (laughs) Yeah, in our episode about design software. But um, as soon as I like made that switch to Figma, like and decided to go with a very simple, punchy, like all black background, um, white text, like really clean, crisp typography in my second portfolio review, like I got that done and dusted because it was so straightforward. um, And I knew like what transitions I wanted to build in. And I wasn't so like bogged down with all the details of like making something that's like the most unique visual design that they'll see all day you know like I was really able to focus on the storytelling and I think that really served me in the end yeah quick tangent I was talking to my friend the other day who was a designer 
And he was talking about mm-hmm. how they use Sketch, and I was like, oh, you don't know about Figma? He's like, what's Figma? I'm like, oh, you have to, like, get on the Figma train. <gasps> no. I know. <laughs> I know. Like, Figma Hive here. Like, I, know. I know. He doesn't know anything about it. <laughs> Sponsor. Sponsor yeah, like I- <laughs> Sponsors. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, we love you, Figma. Yeah. We'll get there. <laughs> dropping hands okay right. so moving on <laughs> another thing that I've seen uh, often uh, that designers do uh, especially in interviews is that they'll drown out a lot of their best work with too many details and there's not enough emphasis mm-hmm. on storytelling and I said a lot about storytelling earlier so I'm not going to go into too much detail about that and I don't want to beat a dead horse but like definitely there have been times <laughs> where like the designer like went into so much detail that we didn't even finish the interview like you ha- only have an hour and the people that you're interviewing with they're probably working on like 20 other things so you have like a small amount of their attention mm-hmm. so you really need to make sure that yeah. you're telling a compelling story and not overwhelming them with too mm-hmm. much information so definitely make sure mm-hmm. that it's not too technical. Um, like it's technical enough mm-hmm. and it's it can be difficult to find the balance, but that's why you need to practice and do dry runs to and get feedback to make mm-hmm. sure that you are accurately portraying your story to your audience. Definitely. And in those dry runs, I a lot of the times like to show the work to someone who is a designer, someone who is not a designer. Um, So I'll just like grab my friends off the street, you know, and I'll be (laughs) like, hey, do you have like 45 minutes to an hour? Can I run through this with you? And like that can really show you people who one, haven't seen the work that you're sharing before, um, what they think about the work. And then also like, does your story track with people who don't have technical know-how specific to exactly the project that you're showing? Because a lot of the times when you're interviewing, you'll be showing work that um, your audience has never seen before. So I think that's important to do dry runs for sure. Yeah. Another thing I see often is that Designers will see NDAs as a dead end, and NDAs are very common at big companies. And a lot of designers will say that they can't show their best work because of an NDA, but while you should never break your NDAs, there are a lot of workarounds that you can try to display your work without violating the confidentiality. And the first thing Mm -hmm. you need to do is ask for permission. Some things are under NDA for a certain amount of time. So like after you, that time has passed, then it won't be under NDA. So it's always good to check in. Gotcha. Uh, And if you want to use it for your portfolio, the company may allow it. They just may make you remove sensitive details. So definitely don't assume that you can't show anything. Just definitely check in with what Mm -hmm. you can show. Make sure that you hide sensitive information. So like blackout or blur like images uh, that might cause problems, but show the basic structure. Um, And the people that are looking at your portfolio are looking at the big picture. They don't need to see every single detail, but they need to know how you improve the experience. Mm -hmm. And you can also try to do clever photo angles, uh, maybe like some sketches (laughs) or whiteboards that show the meaning without the specifics. And then also password Mm -hmm. protect your web portfolio. Um, I've heard kind of mixed things about this because some people are like, oh, it's kind of annoying to have to ask for the password. But also if you are under an NDA, like it, it can be just good to just have a password um, so that you have a limited amount of people accessing On the information. On that specific project. Yeah, to, uh, yeah. So that they don't take advantage yeah. of that. I think something else that you can do too is just like 
talk about your contribution to the project instead of like the project itself in those situations. Like you can list the skills that you flexed on this project, talk about like the problem space in broad strokes. Um, a good like rule of thumb here is whatever that company like talks about on their marketing website, you can basically adapt that language or that like kind of fidelity of sharing um, that information into your portfolio so whatever they share on like the public facing website for whatever company you were working for is something that is open to the public so you can also share that i also will talk more about like my process in these cases if i'm under nda that i use specifically to validate hunches at um for a project and so things like user research competitor analysis the other members of the team that i worked with and kind of their roles my roles um and then i also like to talk about like why i feel like this is my best work or why this was the most interesting project that I've done. Um, something that maybe you could say is like, I'm showing this project because, you know, this was an instance where I was really able to grasp how the business perspective really influences the design process, something like that. So you can talk about what you learned from the project as well. It definitely like a non-disclosure definitely does not need to be um, end all be all mm -hmm. like you can't show anything. Um, I think the other side of that as well is like recruit, don't just like show the brand's name and then like write one or two sentences and leave it at that. Like recruiters and hiring managers, they're not going to just look at like the brand, like company X and um, think to themselves like, okay, well, if they worked at that brand's name, that checks all my boxes, you know, like that doesn't help their understanding of how you specifically work as a designer. Anyway, like even at Microsoft, like designers across Microsoft, like we all have completely different processes, completely different portfolios, completely different skill sets. And so just listing like Microsoft as a brand on my portfolio isn't really telling anyone anything. It's like really a binary check, but it's not giving as much information. And then, yeah, I feel like, oh, there's one more that um, I've seen in portfolios, especially like I was so guilty of this when I was a student building my first couple portfolios, where I went really hard on the jargon because I wanted to present myself as an expert um, in UX. And I've sat in portfolio reviews where I've seen um, other designers, usually new designers, playing like UX bingo or like designer Mad Libs, where they're just like filling in the blank, trying to like hit all the jargony terms. Uh, I don't necessarily feel like this lands with the audience. It's not like a good look for you as a designer. You should, as a designer, like know the appropriate context in which you can like hit on buzzwords. I think that's very different. Like recruiters do filter through portfolios through like making sure that you have a, s a certain set of skills that they're looking for, for that particular role. And like just through talking through the project that you're sharing, you'll be able to hit those buzzwords. Like you don't need to write your project and then go back through and inject all of these like jargon words artificially. You can just talk about your work and in a professional setting, like something like an interview, that often can be enough context to showcase what you're talking about. And then you give your audience, like the hiring managers, an opportunity to ask you if they need to learn more. Um, if they don't feel like you, if, if you're like missing 
one of the buzzwords that they're looking for, they'll ask you about it, you know? And so a good way to like know if you're being too jargony is to, again, do those dry runs, especially with designers and non-designers, and then like definitely grab someone who's never seen your work before. And that can kind of like fill in the blanks for you because you're so familiar with the work of whether it's landing with your audience or not. Yeah, and those are all of the when portfolios go wrong (laughs) things that we have for you guys today. And yeah, we went over a lot of things for you to put into perspective and you may be wondering, so how do I make sure that my portfolio is successful and that I can Mm -hmm. put all of these things that I need to do into practice? And a portfolio is a very vulnerable thing to undertake. It's very intimate and it's about yourself (laughs) Yeah, uh, and no one else. And you're the author of how it's going to be presented. One thing starting off that I thought about when I was making my portfolios was that it's going to be an easy thing to do, Mm -hmm. but it's not always easy to talk about yourself or put yourself onto a deck or a website. (laughs) Yeah, And it's okay if you maybe struggle or need more time to plan Mm -hmm. out what you need to say uh, because your portfolio is, uh, like I just said, and Mm -hmm. like Jessica said, it's a representation of you and showing your best self to Mm -hmm. people. A hundred percent. I think some other things that I've done to try and like gauge whether my portfolio will be successful in an upcoming job interview or just like when I am looking for jobs is like asking another designer who works in the industry um, that I want to get into. And so, you know, whether it's at a tech company or retail or whatever, I will kind of tap my network if there is anyone in my network that I feel comfortable like sharing my portfolio with. You can also try LinkedIn. I feel like that the kind of like cold DMs that I receive on LinkedIn, like I respond to a very certain type of message that like needs to be action oriented. I I think it's hit or miss. It really depends on like who you're reaching out to, what their approach is to that. Um, But another thing that I like to do, because like Maya mentioned, I totally agree with this is a portfolio is super vulnerable. Like it represents you 100%. So I like to sign up for portfolio reviews with groups or networks where I know no one because then I'm like less embarrassed or nervous or scared to show my work. And I feel like I can get objective feedback without getting bogged down of I'm showing my best friend this work. Is she going to like judge me for how bad it is, you know? Um, and so I can also gauge whether the audience is following the story because a lot of them will not have seen the work before, especially if I'm presenting to strangers. And then I can see if I'm like overcomplicating anything or under explaining anything in my portfolio. But yeah, I mean, I think the overarching theme of today's episode is there's no hard or fast rule to how many projects, how long each project should be, um, the ordering of like what goes into a project or what kind of projects you want to show. When you are looking at examples of other people's portfolios, I used to do this thing where I would look at someone who I considered successful, like maybe they worked for like X, Y, and Z company in Silicon Valley that, you know, is a dream job for me. Then I tried to just replicate all the elements of their portfolio instead of thinking about what parts of their portfolio might work for what I have to show. And so again, like I keep landing on this word curate, um, but you know your work the best and you know like your way of collaborating the best. And so putting that down in a way that's true to you and not just some replication of other portfolios that you deem successful is really important, um, I think, to take forward in 
your portfolio review. Wow, that was a lot. Thank you for joining us. And I know that we said a ton and there's so much more to be said about building a portfolio. It's like one of my favorite topics to talk about with other designers. Um, And I knew absolutely nothing about this when I was first jumping into the industry or applying to jobs. And even now, like I feel like I'm constantly learning about best practices for a portfolio. If you have like questions about anything we said or you like disagree with anything we said, you can feel free to DM us on Instagram at the Designers Toolkit. And while you're there, you can follow us for episode sneak peeks, extra content, updates. You know, we would love to hear from you. Um, also, if you liked this episode, if any part of this was helpful to you, Um, You can feel free to subscribe to listen to our episodes as soon as we drop them. Um, And then you can also leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank Thank you. you. Bye, everyone.